Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. You thought, at first, you thought you were just stupid or not as good as the other Mm -hmm. kids. Considering that you thought that about yourself, what did the other kids think about you? I had a group of friends, and then one day in second grade, they were all reading a book. And I couldn't read the book and I went up to them at recess and they were like, you're not smart enough to be our friends anymore. This is like Stephen King's Carrie. Uh Did you like psychically spill blood all over them? I knew that no matter how awful school was, there was a world outside of school and I just needed to find that world. So I'm very happy I have Anna Koppelman with me. Anna, how's it going? It's great. Well, Anna, uh, I've been reading your excellent posts on MTV.com, the Huffington Post. You even got reposted on Yale's website. Mm -hmm. You were um, covering TEDx Teen in in London. You're all over the place representing, I feel, not only Generation Z, but you also have these really beautiful posts about dyslexia and overcoming bullying and you even had this one organization for a while, Birthday Fairies, where you did like all these birthday parties for childrens in need. Uh, so, so, and by the way, Mindy Kaling has even <laughs> written one of my favorite yeah. comedians and actors uh, is even tweeted about your writing. So I wanted you to come on almost selfishly because I wanted to learn basically what is Gen Z? Like, what do you do? What are you up to? And B, I wanted to understand dyslexia and bullying and in general, how you, how overcoming um, sort of bad things at an early age could help later. So, so yeah, and that was your very first post I read was one on dyslexia and bullying. Yeah, thank you. Well, I'm very excited to be here and explain Generation Z and all those other things too. Well, well, so tell me about what was the, tell me about dyslexia, like, because I never, I've never actually, nobody in my family has it, I never mm-hmm. encountered it. When when I was a kid, if somebody had dyslexia, we would just basically make fun of them and throw right. them out of the class. <laughs> like, there was no such thing as dyslexia. So, uh, I realized I was dyslexic when I was in first grade. I kind of knew that I wasn't the same as the other kids in my class before that, but I, because I already knew that, like, they were able to do things I couldn't do. They could look at a page, and the letters would make sense in their mind, and it would transform into a word, and for me, I was, like, not able to sound out the letter. Like, like, but they I was would, never... Uh, but I didn't understand that, though, so, so they, like, let's say you open up a book, mm-hmm. um, and there's the word, um, home, yeah. and they would say, that means home. And, and would you think that they were tr- somehow seeing the same things as you were, but interpreting it correctly and you couldn't interpret it? Or did you actually think they were seeing something different? Well, I couldn't see that it said home. I would see that there was an H and an O and an M and an E, but it wouldn't combine in my mind. It would just stay like that. And then I'd try to sound it out and it still would just be so hard for 
it to make sense to me. And then there were other things too, like they could look at a board and copy down the words from the board onto a page. And when I looked at the board and I tried to copy it down, it was just impossible to be able to see, okay, there's an A here and let me put an A down here. And well, why is it like what would happen? You would see the A, why couldn't you write the A? I, I didn't know. And it felt like this mysterious thing where I was just stupid and I couldn't do it and there was something wrong with me. And all I wanted to do was be able to read and I couldn't read. And so I thought that I was fooling everybody else around me because I would pretend that I could. And we would have books that we would read during, like, reading time. And I would pick them up. And, like, the books would be upside down. And then I would go to the teacher and be like, I finished this and I understand it. And they'd be like, well, what was it about? And I just would have to, like, make up a story. And they'd be like, why don't you go try to read it again? So I just knew there was something wrong with me that I couldn't figure out. And then one day I was watching the children's show Arthur. And there was a kid on it. And it was like a moose and he had dyslexia, and I hmm. turned to my parents, and I was like, oh, I have dyslexia. Why, because what did this moose, uh, how did he exhibit the dyslexia? It was all just about the same feelings that I was feeling, where he was behind in his class, but he had all these great ideas he wanted to get out, but couldn't, and the feeling of being trapped because there's something in your brain that's not processing, or it's processing different, and I just instantly knew, like, that's the same feeling I have all the time. So what's happening in the brain? Like what actually what actually is the condition of dyslexia? So um, there's nobody with dyslexia has the same exact dyslexia. It's mainly that what you're looking at, when you read, you're processing it in a different part of your brain than most people are processing it. And so I think it's most information too. You process it differently. Um, and it's not as clear of like a highway to understanding something. You kind of have to like build different roads in your head to connect things. Um, is that yeah. because in part, like, for two million years, nobody, no mammals needed to read letters? So is it just sort of a crapshoot where we, what part of our brain we read from and most people just kind of end up in the right spot, but you didn't? Yeah, I think that's part of it. People didn't start knowing that dyslexia was a thing, like you said, until pretty recently. Like, there's been, in the past years, a lot of more discovery into what it is and how it works um, with dyslexia and all different other uh, learning disabilities or differences. So it's all just, yeah, I think you, you're processing it from a different part of your brain. And so, and so like I, you said, you, you thought at first you thought you were just stupid or not as good as the other mm -hmm. kids, considering that you thought that about yourself, what did the other kids think about you? Uh, they thought I was stupid too. That's how, that's one of the reasons I knew I was stupid. And I had a group of friends, and then one day in second grade, they had all, they were all reading a book, and I couldn't read the book, and I went up to them at recess, and they were like, you're not smart enough to be our friends anymore. And so they and, and so you, it, it, you were almost like pushed out of the tribe. Like you were, were yeah. you on your own? Did you have any friends? So then I didn't have any friends, and my mom was like, I can read the book to you. And I went back to them, and I was like, well, my mom can read this book to me. And they were like, that doesn't count. You're old enough now. You should be able to read yourself. Hmm. And from that moment on on the playground, it always kind of felt like there were people who could do these things I couldn't do. And then there was me, and that was something that I was doing alone. And I couldn't read, and I had to figure that out alone. And I was just kind of isolated very early. Um, and then I ended up switching schools and going to a school for kids with dyslexia for two years. And then that's when I learned how to read. But I didn't learn how to read till like the end of third grade. Wow. So when you first read a book, what was that? What, what was the experience like? Well, it happens slowly. So you first are reading letters and sentences and tons of word lists. And then suddenly there's like a book and you're, you're able to read it. And I mean, it's just a feeling of finally being at a 
place of understanding. And I had wanted to be able to read for so long that after I could, it was all I did. And, and so now, like with all these years of practice since third grade, obviously, can you read a book pretty much as good as anyone else? I'm like a re- pretty fast reader now, and I read more than I think most kids my age read just because it was so hard for me to get that I was able, like I had a want to do it more than anybody. Well, I think this is a fundamental thing in that uh, because you went through this stress, mm-hmm. it's almost like, um, you know, people who who go through all these bad experiences can kind of handle stoically like other uh, later bad experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you th- like, like, for instance, of all the friends who called you stupid, how many of them have written like almost a dozen articles for MTV.com right now? Well, that's the funny thing is I'm Facebook friends with a lot of them. And when they post pictures from parties, I still kind of wish that I was in their friend group. But I know that um, not being able to read and all the other things that happened in my life kind of got me to a place where I have um, more of an ability and belief in myself that if there's something that seems impossible or hard, that if I work enough, I can get it. And so I think that's a lot of the reason why I've been writing these articles and have done the things that I've done just because like like I like I've seen kids, you know, write journal entries or write essays or write articles, or whatever. But how did you then make the leap and say, okay, well, there's no reason why I can't be on, you know, the premier network for children, like you know, MTV.com. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you? How did that happen? So I started writing for the internet when I was in ninth grade. Uh, ninth grade was really hard for me. I didn't have any friends. I was alone a lot of the time. I was eating lunch alone pretty much every day. And I was just in a really sad place. And the kids in my grade were really mean to me. And I I just felt like there was no real happiness. But when I would sit down and eat lunch alone, I would start to write in my notebook or I'd write on my computer because it's humiliating to sit there without anything to do. So at least if I was writing, it seemed like I was preoccupied and that's why I was alone. And so then I started writing these articles and a lot of them didn't have anything to do with what I was feeling. They were like about my favorite YouTuber or about just like random things. And then um, one day I just wrote this article about bullying because I felt like it had gotten to a point where I couldn't not write about it. And What was that point? Like what triggered that point? uh, Well, it was an incident where I had that charity birthday fairies um, and I was throwing parties for children in need um, and I had been doing it since middle school and this kid in my grade who was always really mean to me came up to me one day and was like I really want to throw a bake sale for birthday fairies and I believed him and I was like that's so great and he got these really popular seniors and juniors to say that they were also going to help throw the bake sale and the day of the bake sale came and none of them baked anything and they all kind of just laughed and then this is this is like Car- Stephen King's yeah. Carrie. Uh-huh. Did you like psychically spill blood all over them? <laughs> no, I kind of just sat there with like my tray of Rice Krispie treats and like cried. But um, did they realize afterwards they did a bad thing? I mean, he knew the entire time. I think, uh, yeah. I mean, did I don't... your parents call his parents? Well. That kid and I have had a very long history of my parents calling his parents and it getting worse. So I think at that point, my I just called my brother and he was at college and I was just like on the phone with him crying. And my parent, I just ended up like walking home. And um, then I just kind of sat down and wrote that article. So, so it's interesting though. I think a lot of writers uh, get the, to this inflection point where they write for years and years about something like and it could all be interesting and you're building your skill and you're building your analytical skills so you're writing what's your favorite youtuber and why mm-hmm. i've even written a whole 
bunch of articles about who my favorite YouTuber was <laughs> and why, like uh, 15 years ago or whenever YouTube started. And uh, uh, But then at some point you reach an inflection where enough is enough and you feel it inside yourself where, okay, now I'm going to write about something that's a little risky and it's about me and people are going to actually look at me differently one way or the other, maybe poorly because mm-hmm. of what I'm about to say. Like, were you nervous at all? Or did you feel that moment? Like, okay, this is a com- some coming from one layer deeper in me. Well, I, I wasn't even aware that people were going to view it negatively. I wasn't really thinking at that point what people were going to think of that article. I just knew that I... I couldn't not say it, and I think I had this feeling at school and just in my life of not being able to connect with people and just this, um, like I was saying, an, a feeling of isolation since, like, first grade of there's something between me and other people. like More than the dyslexia? More than the dyslexia. Just, like, sura- like there was saran wrap between me and the rest of the world. And why do you think Why do you think that was? I'm sorry I interrupt so yeah. much. I'm a, no, I'm a, I like it. a perennial interrupter as... as any guest will tell you. Um, I think it was because I'm kind of weird. Um, when I was younger, I always thought people's parents were more interesting than them, and so I'd like to talk to their parents more than play. And then I liked, you know, play pretend way too long. I played pretend until I was like 11, um, and finally somebody said to me, like, "You're a little too old to be playing pretend." I believed in the tooth fairy till I was like in sixth grade. I just, I, I, when I was little, I had to get. I had problems with my eyes, so I wore like an eye patch to school every day. There was just like always something a little bit weird about me. Yeah, the eye patch kid would definitely be beaten up on the playground. <laughs> yeah, the eye patch dyslexic kid, not um, but you know, I very feel popular. Like, I, I feel like the world's a little different now. Like, like literally, when I was a kid, nobody cared at all. Like mm-hmm. the t- like we were on the playground, and it was literally Lord of the Flies on the playground. Like, right. Kids would kill each other on the playground, and whoever survived went back to the classrooms for the afternoon, and the dead bodies would be carted off to the morgue or whatever. And parents didn't even know our, like my parents, I don't even think they knew my name until I graduated college. <laughs> like parents like didn't care at all. Right. They were at work and and then and then they would drink themselves to sleep. And we were just on our own, just like clawing at each other. So parents are much more involved now in the whole bu- and and teachers are much more aware of bullying. Bullying is like a thing now. Mm-hmm. And, and so why why wasn't nobody um, kind of helping you unwrap that saran wrap. Well, I, my parents are very involved, very great parents, and you know my parents. Yes. Um, and so they were always there helping me. My mom would pick me up from school every day, and we'd, like, get ice cream and talk about it. And my parents were, like, my best and only friends with my brother. Um, but at a certain point, there's nothing you can really do about kids being mean. Like, kids will be mean no matter what. And right, they'll figure out the human nature. Yeah. And so teachers definitely knew that I was being bullied, and I had some teachers who were always really great to me. Teachers would eat lunch with me. They'd, like, offer to help me. They'd talk to me about it. But at the end of, a day, of the day, like, you're not going to be able to stop people from being people. And that just kind of continued throughout a lot of my adolescence. And I do think that the bullying did make it where I was really close with some teachers. Like my advisor at school and I are really close because when I was in ninth grade, I was always crying in her office. So I I think that teachers are aware and they try to help, but you can't always help all of that. Um, so, 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 so we've talked about two like kind of horrible things. One is dyslexia is obviously this very uh, debilitating and awful condition you couldn't read till a certain point you thought you were stupid other people thought you were stupid and then kind of this 
introversion that you had that separated you out from your friends in such a such a way that combined with other things like the being the eye patch girl and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff people bullied you and yet in both times you've mentioned positive outcomes that came out of it yeah. you became a more voracious reader than than all of these supposed smart little kids and you became uh, uh resilient uh you built great relationships with with uh these adults these teachers in your right. life and then you started uh, pouring your soul out to such an extent that M- Mindy Kaling, one of the you know most interesting, funny writers mm-hmm. out there, loves your writing. Yeah, and you're well, on MTV and all these things. <laughs> so that's what happened. Is when I wrote that bullying article, I just felt there was like such a layer between me and everybody else, and I just wanted to connect with people. And when I would write, I would be able to connect with people. When I would perform poetry, I would be able to connect with people. What and do you mean perform poetry? I was also doing like I also do slam poetry. So when I would go on stage and like share my poetry with people, I'd be able to connect with an audience. So I knew when I wrote, I was able to form connections with people. Oh, okay, so where would you go to do perform slam poetry? Because this is another thing, like who would get, like instead <laughs> of just going to school with the eye patch, you decided, okay, after school, I'm going to go to someplace downtown and perform mm-hmm. in front of an audience. Like, what got you to do that? Uh, well, I just always felt like, and I think it was because of my parents and people around me, but I knew that no matter how awful school was, there was a world outside of school, and I just needed to find that world. And I felt like, okay, well, if it's hard for me to connect with people at school, like, what if I'm able to figure out another way for me to do that? If it's hard for me to talk to people because I get nervous when I talk, like, maybe I should try doing improv because then I'll have to talk on stage. Maybe if I Did you take improv classes? Yeah, I've taken a ton of improv classes. And then I thought, you know, if it's hard for me to share my feelings with people, what if I try doing poetry Um, and then share it with a whole group of people? And each time I did that, I got to this point where I was like, you know what? I have this feeling and this sadness inside me. What if I just wrote about it? And it wasn't, I don't know if I really thought it through this methodically, but I was just like, what if I wrote about it and see who can connect with it? And I wrote that bullying article and I sent it to the editor um, at HuffPost Teen and they were publishing my other articles um, about like my favorite YouTuber and things like that. And the editor, Taylor Truden, um, wrote back to me and she was like, this is a beautiful piece. A, are you sure you want to publish it? Because then it's going to be out in the world. And also, no one should have to eat lunch alone. Why don't you come eat lunch with me one day? Oh, that's really sweet. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. So a couple of interesting things there. One is, by the way, the, the bullying article is very beautiful, not because uh, it's about bullying, which is, of course, a very moving topic anyway, but that's there's there's many articles and posts about mm-hmm. bullying. But I thought I thought what was very what what showed um skill was there was no it wasn't like a revenge article like right. you weren't like saying these people were mean to me and they deserve to die like <laughs> right. you were you were it was about you and your own kind of inner reactions to to bullying and how you were trying to confront it just like you were describing just now like every time you kind of reached the, a negative situation you would look for even though you felt the sadness of it, like you would cry in your teacher's office, offices or whatever, you would also try to find the way out. Like, okay, there's this world outside of school, so I'm going to take improv classes, perform on a stage, connect. If I couldn't connect with my friends at school, I'm going to connect with uh, an audience. And I see many adults who don't have that realization. Like, I was just talking to a friend of mine who's having problems at his work, and I said to him, 
you can't outsource all of your self-esteem to your colleagues at work because that's a very tiny world and there's a much bigger world out there. Like, do you think, I, I sort of feel what you just said applies to life in general. We're in some institutional setting more or less most of the day. So whether it's a school or a job or our, our peers or the government or whatever, but if we're having a horrible time, it's good to remind ourselves, well, there, to, A, there's a much bigger world and let's try to find the variety in it where we can potentially flourish. I think that one thing right there could be applied to anything in life. And I think that's something that my generation, Generation Z, does more than other generations just because we're born in this time where we have the ability to connect with billions of people over the internet and it almost makes it where there's no real excuse not to search for something outside of that, That's really interesting because not only... I mean, obviously right now we're all in that world, mm -hmm. but you only had that world. Yeah. Like, I grew up in a world where you had to put your finger on, like, the one and turn it all the way around the phone, and the phone was, like, bolted into the wall, and you couldn't right. move too far away from it. And that, and then I could only connect with one friend, and he usually lived, like, next door, and we would call each other up. But now you have friends. Like, I've seen in some of your articles, you would talk to people in other continents and mm -hmm. states, and everybody would be talking about their problems, and you're really connecting with, with people. It's a global friendship network. And people always say, oh, kids should get off social media. I don't believe that at all. And, and you're kind of a great example where uh, social media sort of showed you that there is a much bigger world out there. Yeah. And I think a lot of parents feel like you should only be watching one hour of television. You shouldn't be going online. Like you said, people think, oh, well, cyberbullying is this big issue. So we just shouldn't have teenagers online. And for me, that's hard to understand that thought process because Yes, people can be mean online, but people are mean in real life. And online, you can also find like so many nice people and so many friendships. Like you were saying, I have so many internet friends. Um, I, you know, there's a whole network of other people who are in their high school and they're feeling lonely. And social media is a way where you are able to connect with them and then you're able to make them happier and they're able to make you happier. Uh, and I think that it's hard for other people to understand that because people will be nostalgic for their childhood and be like, well, we were playing outside and we were having all these great times playing outside. But I question, A, how great playing outside was, but also it's not that different than playing online because you're making friends with the people on your street, but I'm able to make friends with people on a much wider way. Well, I'll play devil's advocate for one second. Uh, is it... The people playing in the street are actually getting more sun and more exercise. Very and, true. And there's endorphins from that. So mm -hmm. there's dopamine from online. So that's kind of this one uh, sort of neurochemical for happiness. You, you get online and you connect with people and it feels good like socially. Mm -hmm. But you're running around and playing and getting dirty. There's an endorphins, which is another kind of play, like a runner's high type of pleasure. So right. you miss out on that if, if all you do is online. Well, yeah, everybody should definitely exercise to some extent to get endorphins um, and everything other benefit of sunlight and things like that. But I think when we're in this world, there's more opportunity online. And I and I mean, I don't spend my entire life online. It's not like I'm spending seven hours every night on social media. But I do think that there's a healthy balance where you're able to go online. And for instance, with my articles, if I was just writing them and keeping them to myself, I wouldn't have been able to, I think, get the feeling of satisfaction that I get and also help people with what I write. So, 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 so far, I think I'm learning like, like several things that are very interesting. One is, uh, 
having kind of this these early issues, like dyslexia is not your fault, obviously, mm-hmm. and, but having these early issues forced you to take this attitude with where, okay, things could be sad and hard and I'm still going to cry, but uh, I'm also going to look for... Uh, uh, there, there's there's positives. I've seen now evidence again and again that there are positives to all of these negatives. The second thing is um, there's this extra oomph that you do. Like you don't just write an article. You contact the editor of the HuffPost teen and say, can I publish my articles? So what makes you think you could take that leap. Like some people don't take that leap, whether they're old or young. Mm-hmm. Many people say, oh, well, no, they'll never publish me. Like what made you take that leap? So I have a few things to that. Um, the first is that Taylor, who used to be the editor at HuffPostine and now is the editor at MTV um, that I write for, she once said to me, and the advice she gave me was, she said whenever she, people send her bios, they will put like, aspiring writer or aspiring dancer and she always deletes that word because Mm. she says the only difference between you and somebody who actually is a writer is that you put aspiring in your bio and so I think that that works for a lot of things in life where if you're scared to do something you might as well do it because if you fail then you fail but you could also succeed and the only difference between you and people who succeed is they take that chance Mm. and so so you took that chance and obviously it worked out. But then also, the other thing you did was uh, it helped you realize there's this much bigger world out there mm-hmm. because there's all the people who are reading you all of a sudden. And then there's all these groups online, maybe for people who feel socially isolated or maybe for people who are interested in Writing. insects yeah. or, or whatever. Insects. There's, there's yeah. groups for everything. So you're able to kind of attach to those groups. And suddenly now, instead of being pushed out of, feeling like pushed out of the herd, you realize oh, there's another group here where I fit in very well and I'm part of and I could could feel good about and trust and they trust me and so on. And that's totally true, but I would also like to say that I still cry in school and I still don't like going to school. Why don't you quit school? uh, Because I want to go to college and I'm not really allowed to quit school. Uh, I I always say that I want to and I always am like, this is my last year of high school. I'm going to drop out of school and then... Why do you want to go to college? You're already a good writer. You're already going on stage in front of people. You're already doing amazing things. Um, I want to... Well, I like learning and I want to learn more. Um, And I also want to be in an environment where I'm able to make friends and have a social life and just have an experience of college. I I mean, that's a good question. Why am I still in school? And I think that also has to do with what I write about is being in school. Um, And I think that being in school at the end of the day, it's hard and unfun, but it's important. So so tell me about, so I want to know now about Gen Z, which by the way, initially I I kind of confused Gen Z with millennials, Mm -hmm. but millennials are already adults. They're yeah. just they were kind of like coming of age in 2000. That's why they're millennials. So you're post millennial. You're you're the next generation, which is just as big and just as important. And and you're the first generation to completely grow up in high speed internet. Like you can't mm-hmm. even imagine what it's like to not have internet or to have low speed internet. Like imagine if you were downloading a song and it would take an hour which is the very first time I downloaded a song. I downloaded like a U2 song and it took about an hour to download. So uh, uh, what, like what social networks do you use? Where do you, where do you find people? Do you use Facebook even? Like my kids don't use Facebook. I love Facebook. 
I love Twitter. I deleted my Instagram. Because, really? You deleted yeah. your Instagram? I thought Gen Z uses Instagram most, all the time. Most Gen Z uses a ton of Instagram. I'm a little too insecure for Instagram, I think. I, I just was constantly looking at other people and feeling bad about myself, so I deleted Instagram. But that, That's very kind of sophisticated, though, to say, okay, I'm feeling bad about myself, so I'm going to stop this behavior, as mm-hmm. opposed to trying to, to keep reworking the behavior until you feel good about yourself. Oh, I did that too, but it's been enough years where... I'm like, okay, this doesn't make me feel good. Um, but I love Twitter uh, and I love Facebook. On Facebook, I'm in some groups of like other writers and other people doing cool things. Um, and on Twitter, you can connect with anybody. And so so with Facebook, I find Facebook groups actually to be really useful. Like I've met friends on mm-hmm. Facebook groups and I think they're kind of underrated. Like people don't realize this is sort of the, the secret weapon of Facebook. <laughs> yeah. And on Instagram, there's no groups. It's just all everybody's liking everybody else's stuff. So there's, there is this kind of mindlessness to it. But there's this weird thing where, oh, somebody liked me again. Oh, someone liked me again and again and again. It's like popcorn popping. So yeah. you feel all this like rush from that, uh, which is why I think a lot of kids like Instagram because there's very few other things that they get that kind of immediate feedback from. Um, but I guess the same could be said for for Twitter or Facebook. So what, what about like Snapchat? I love Snapchat. Uh, Snapchat is like one of my favorite things. I don't think of it as social media for some reason just because it's so one-on-one and it doesn't feel like... Um, so you're not broadcasting big, yeah. on Snapchat. On Snapchat, it's more like you're talking to people. Snapchat's what I feel like my generation uses to flirt and then like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter is what people use to connect. So so connect and to broadcast. Yeah. So like here's what I'm doing today. That's a broadcast. Connecting is uh, like on the groups and the message board threads mm-hmm. and so on. And Snapchat is, oh, I'm going to send my friend a, a photo of what I'm doing now or whatever. Do you send more yeah. photos or texts on Snapchat? A mixture of both because it all disappears. So you're able to say anything and send anything. And do companies use Snapchat? I mean, I don't know anything about Snapchat. Well, Snapchat has like Snapchat Discover where you can read different articles and people um, will post like ads for things. It's like a very interesting app because it has like multiple different things going on within it. And then you have Snapchat Stories where I guess you're broadcasting to anybody that follows you on Snapchat what you're doing. But it's different because you're not able to like things. And so what other other media, what, what other social media? That's kind of it for me. I'm not as good as social media as I want to be. Um, but Twitter's my favorite. And Twitter's like Mindy Kaling was able to, like I was able to connect with Mindy Kaling on Twitter. Um, things like that, which I don't know if that happens on other social medias as much. And do you use Twitter uh, to engage in discussions or do you use it also for news discovery or things like that? I use it for a mixture of things, mostly procrastinating from homework. But I do that too. Yeah. Uh, I use it to... Um, send out my articles and then also to like find other things to read and to see what other people are doing. And also I just follow a lot of funny people on Twitter. So it makes me laugh. So, so I also think fiction oriented towards Gen Z Mm -hmm. is almost, is in many ways outstripping fiction geared towards adults. So, I mean, basically Hunger Games came out of Gen Z fiction, Divergent, Mm -hmm. all of John Green's books uh, came out of, you know, it was initially aimed towards, uh, your generation, I imagine. Uh, like, what are your what are your favorite authors in in this space? I love John Green. Uh, Sarah Dessen is amazing too. I don't know her. Uh, she's been writing YA books for like twenty years, and um, she just writes these like really fun love stories, almost um, 
where she is able to take a character. I relate to a lot of the characters in her books because they usually start out as like somebody who's feeling lonely and then they find a group of friends and they find a boy and they like live happily ever after. Um, but she's great. John Green's great. Um, uh, I like The Hunger Games and Divergent a lot too. I mostly have been reading books that aren't as much YA. Um, I like to read books that are more like for, I guess, your generation or adults too. My old generation? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what books? Uh, like, I'm trying to think what I was just reading. Uh, I'm, I was reading a book by, I don't know why I'm forgetting it now, but... I forget, yeah. I forget what I'm reading all I'll, the time. I'll remember it eventually. Uh, oh, well, my other favorite YA book is Perks of Being a Wallflower. My all-time favorite book is like more of an adult book by Tim O'Brien, which is The Things They Carried. Oh, my God. That's like one of my all-time favorite yeah. books. It's a collection of stories that are interconnected mm-hmm. and the title story being The Things They Carried, a beautiful book about Vietnam. Yeah. I mean, I think that story is like one of the best stories of all time. It's a beautiful book that walks the line between like fiction and memoir and what that means. Yeah, it's totally autobiographical, particularly that story, but mm-hmm. he does it in this fictional way. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and what about TV shows? What what do you like? I'm doing the full anthropological <laughs> survey of, of your uh, generation. I love The Mindy Project, Nashville, um, How I Met Your Mother, which is no longer on, but I love rewatching that. Um, shows like that, Modern Family. So these are all broadcast shows. Do your, do your parents let you watch cable shows? Yeah. Like, do you, are there any cable shows you like? Um, I mean, I watch shows mostly on the internet. Like, I watch them on, like, Hulu and Netflix, so I'm not really sure what a cable show is. But I see. That's interesting. Yeah. So I kind of always have a feel for what's cable and what's broadcast mm-hmm. because I grew up in those in that bifurcated world. Yeah. But I realize I also just watch things mostly on the internet and don't know what networks they come from, but I can still tell. Really? So, yeah. Interesting. Just because the, the the cable will be a little more edgy and risky. So, um, uh, but, so it's interesting. So what other Gen Z things? I feel like with Gen Z, you, again, you guys are taking more initiative to get out there because you're networking and you're more confident about, that you could spread your tentacles through the world. And everyone else is kind of like, or at least... I don't want to damn my whole generation because it's not true, but a lot of people I know are afraid to break out of the environment. They, they invested 20 years into their one place where they work, so that's where they try to succeed as opposed to saying there's this much bigger world out there. I think that seems like the main difference is this understanding that there's this much bigger world mm-hmm. you can participate in, not just observe, but participate in. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that because we were born at this time, we don't know a world where it's not like that. And, you know, for me, I'm still so young that I don't know if I'm going to end up getting stuck doing the same thing for 20 years. Like, we don't know enough about my generation yet to know, like, will that change just because we have the internet? Because it's still, like, switching what you're focusing on and what you're putting effort into is still a big deal whether or not you're on Twitter. What what do you want to do? Uh, Do you know? That's a good question because I... You don't have to know, by the way. I didn't know. Well, I write so much that it makes sense for me just to continue being a writer, but maybe I'll switch careers or switch what I like doing. Yeah, Um, of course. You'll do it many times. Yeah, that's kind of why I want to go to college is so I can study other things. I really like psychology, but I feel like at the end of the day, I'll end up just writing. Well, uh, Anna Koppelman, I highly recommend everybody 
read all of your posts on mtv.com. They're Thank beautiful. You. you know what you should do? You should compile them all into a little booklet or a, or a bigger book and <laughs> self-publish them on Amazon. That yeah, that's feels a really like the good next idea. Step. That would be awesome. And there's nothing wrong with the, the very first technique. Here's what you should do. Mm -hmm. You should print them all up and staple them together. And right. so then you actually can look and see, wow, this is a physical object of my writing and it looks like a book. And so then you get this sense, that this visceral sense, like you could pick it up and hold it. You get this visceral sense, this wow. is a book I'm holding mm -hmm. of all my words. And then write an intro and an outro. And now you really have a book. And then rewrite all the stories so it flows together more. And now, by the way, you have a novel or a collection of stories or That's a memoir awesome. or a That's book. a really good idea. I'll do that. I, I think you should. And uh, congratulations on on everything. You really are so impressive. Thank and you. you've taught me some valuable lessons here. So thanks once again for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to make sure you never miss an episode and we have some great episodes coming up, subscribe to The James Altucher Show on iTunes or Stitcher. If you subscribe, you'll never miss an episode and I have a lot of great interviews coming up. Just go to iTunes, search for The James Altucher Show and click subscribe. Again, thank you so much. I really hope you do this.